So welcome back to another episode of, of the Uptime Punks. Um, this is one of the COP26 miniseries with some great interviews leading up to the great event on the 11th of November. And it's our pleasure today to have Amanda Becky, of course, with Dundee and um, our new co-host is here as well, Bruce the Dog. And um, we're very happy to have Gavin Starks here. Hello, very good to meet you. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to kick it off the same way we always do it. Um, the Uptown Bugs have a couple of questions always. So uh, let's start from the beginning. Um, Gavin, do you remember your first mobile phone? Oh, it was some kind of Nokia, I'm sure. Okay. Do you remember your first computer? Oh, first computer was a, a ZX Spectrum back in the 80s. Okay, so you're coming from a coding background as well. Yes, very much. Yeah, the great thing about the Spectrum is it had all the commands on the keys, so you could teach yourself to code without a manual. Okay. Um, what sort of got you into the tech industry? What sort of drove your passion? Was it because you had a computer at an early age? Yes, very much. You know, I started coding when I was in about uh, 10, I think, uh, back, in, back in the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, yeah, then got into, uh, I studied astrophysics, which was involving a lot of uh, computer modeling using things like Fortran 77. Um, and uh, then ended up at George uh, Bank uh, doing radio astrophysics stuff, but writing in C++ and uh, Python and things like that. So yeah, a lot of web, uh, open web work. Okay. Um, and you were a co-founder of a lot of businesses. So maybe you can start somehow where you started from. Yeah, um, so I yeah, got sucked out of academia into uh, helping set up this little company at the time called Virgin Net, which is now Virgin Media. Um, okay. And from there, um, built a, a streaming company uh, in the early 2000s, uh, which was Tornado Productions. Um, they were doing loads of different webcasting and live streaming. Obviously, it's very easy to do now, but 20 years ago, if you were turning up to Glastonbury, as we did to do the live stream from there, it was, it was quite complicated getting ISDN lines into the middle of a field. Um, and yeah, fast forward uh, a number of different organizations uh, working across media, finance, and so on. Uh, was the first chief executive of the Open Data Institute uh, about 10 years ago and, and set that up with uh, Tim Berners Lee. Um, and yeah, now running a, a non profit looking at data and climate change. Okay, so um, uh, let's get straight to the topic of climate change. What do you think is the biggest challenge? Is it the human or is it the tech? It's always the humans. If, it's ever, if that's ever a question, it's always the humans. Um, <laughs> I, I think here, you know. <laughs> that got a response from the dog, Gavin. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, no, I think it's. <laughs> Let me take you on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah this is how it is this is the life and direct element of it yeah but i guess um gavin you you can you can go on developing your point um about humans yeah but, sure yeah sure. so i think you know we're, we're, we develop fantastic technology uh, have done for centuries now but uh it's how we use it that's the important uh thing there it's um you know we, we've got all of the technology at our hands today to address climate change, but do we have the, the political will, the commercial will, and the financing 
to really uh, re realize that, materialize it. You've got, uh, when, we, when I set up Icebreaker One, which is my new uh, nonprofit venture here, we set yeah. a target of trying to influence $3.6 trillion per annum of mm -hmm. investment. And the reason we pick that number is that's how much we spend globally on infrastructure. And all of our infrastructure needs to be net zero, um, starting as soon as possible. Otherwise, we won't hit our 2050 net zero targets. So there yeah. you talk about vast deployment of capital on things that are going to deliver net zero. But then the, the question is, okay, well, which things? Well, we need to decarbonize our energy supply. Um, but if you look at the UK there, uh, you'll see that, you know, to, if you were to switch all transport and heating to electric tomorrow, we'd need three to four times the amount of uh, energy generation. Um, so we've got to somehow at least double or quadruple our energy supply of renewables. But at the same time, I think we also have to really focus in on the energy efficiency question. How do we become twice as efficient, you know, double our energy efficiency, so have our energy consumption on pretty much everything we do? And that touches every single product service that, uh, that we use. Technology is at the heart of all of this, but we need to start sharing the information at the yeah. design stage right down to the asset level stage to, to really build these systems that are going to bring that kind of scale to the, uh, the world that we live in. Yeah, so Paul is back now. Um, Bruce, unfortunately, is out of the podcast. But um, yeah, I guess um, we'll, we'll have him on the next episode back maybe um, with, with some... That's, a, that, that's the problem with bringing a dog in a podcast. Yeah, cats are usually not that difficult. Yeah, but Gavin, I've, I scrolled. I don't know how many times you need to click refresh on your LinkedIn profile until um, one finally sees your full um, CV. It is mental. Um, um, <laughs> So you, think I don't know what I'm doing. So, okay. so you, 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 absolute you, nonsense. So it, it's long, but it's very, very impressive. It, it is, is. It, it is. is. And actually, you, you studied what astrophysics and electronic music. So yes, that's a good combination for trying to do anything to do with climate change. Obviously, you know, it's, it's yeah the combination you would put together. Excellent. Now, so and then you, you, um, you worked um, at the university as some. Um, network manager was were more or less a serial entrepreneur and now you're moving around money and data does that sum it up more or less money and data for the benefit of the planet obviously yeah no, i think that's a, that's a really good point yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, can you still hear me yes yes we, can. we, we, we can. can yeah and they haven't touched on the open banking which is your forerunner yeah. gavin right yeah. before you okay, got into just a, a bit of a yeah. sorry yeah. gavin they, they haven't touched on the open banking piece at all there which was your forerunner to icebreaker it might be worth explaining that a bit too yeah no, I, I think there's there's a few different elements to this uh what we're doing now so one of them is um i set up a, a venture-backed company uh actually in the mid-2000s uh, there, we were aggregating all the different ways of doing carbon footprinting that existed, putting them behind a common open API, uh, and then making that available to organizations that wanted to do their carbon uh, assessments. Uh, and we made that available as, as an open service and open license to it. Um, and we, we still managed to raise venture money for that. We got uh, investment from Tim O'Reilly uh, in the US and from Union Square and Amadeus in the UK. Um, building on that and sort of taking some of those learnings to the Open Data Institute, we spent a lot of time working with startups, helping them with their business models for 
openly licensed uh, code or openly licensed data in, in that case. Um, and then just uh, near the end of my tenure at, at the Open Data Institute, we uh, helped to create this thing called the Open, open Banking Standard, and that enables data sharing across the entire uh, banking sector, yeah. but it's an open standard. So it, it's really what we're doing now with Icebreaker is really combining those three different um, bits of experience of how do you get everything together? How do you create common standards? How do you create uh, the market influence? And this is back to your point as well about is it humans or is it machines? Yeah. The thing that we learned through open banking is it's very much about getting industry on board, getting government on board if you can. Getting, getting the Swiss on board with their banking secrets. Speaking, <laughs> spe speaking as a Swissman myself, I know that may have been an issue. Yeah. So there we were in a fortunate position where the, the, we created this open standards uh, for data exchange across the banking system. And then the Financial Conduct Authority, the regulator, enforced the banks to adopt. And it's it's quite a um, it's quite a big stick to, to hit something with. But um, the the really interesting thing there is because the main banks are regulated, all the whole rest of the fintech community have to adopt the same standard, uh, right. and and that has basically forced in kind of interoperability and open interoperability across the whole market. And then because we open source the standard itself, it's been copied in other countries. Uh, so we've seen implementations in New Zealand, in Canada, and so on. Gavin, I was looking at LinkedIn today and I saw the Climate Financial Risk Forum Guide 2021 being launched today. Can you talk more about that? Certainly, yeah. So we've been working uh, with the Financial Conduct Authority and the Pensions Regulator and the Bank of England over the last year or so uh, to really work out, you know, when they're looking to deploy or get the financial sector uh, to deploy large-scale capital and, and there's, there's trillions of dollars in the, in the system here. Uh, that are looking to be deployed, the questions that they've got are around the financial risk, around the returns and, and, and so on. But the lenses that they've, all, they've got at the moment to really explore and examine that are fairly limited when it comes to the environmental impact. So a lot of what we've been doing is trying to take the principles and practice of how would you get data sharing embedded into the financial ecosystem around non-financial data. So looking at the environmental performance of an individual asset, uh, looking at the particular environmental parameters, whether it's the carbon footprint or the air pollution or, or whatever the um, impact is, how can we get that to be business as usual yeah. for the financial sector? And that, that's a large part of what we're um, putting on the table here as a, a set of principles that can be adopted by the financial community. Yeah. On that note, maybe, I don't know if you are aware, uh, Gavin, there is a lot of stuff going on in the Gaia X universe currently about that, um, making finance more sustainable. And I guess one of the projects within the Gaia X universe, or use case, if you want, is um, connecting different entities like regulator, regulatory bodies, banks, uh, insurances, but also universities and other entities together to kind of um, manage that financial risk better. Um, I don't know if you've heard about it, but anyone interested, yeah. this, you should definitely check this out. I yeah, think it's no, called we... Safe FBDC. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of different initiatives all, uh, around the world, and Gaia X is one of yeah. the ones that's trying to do things at a European wide level. I think mm -hmm. there one of the one of the challenges is, is if you want to go fast, uh, you know, kind of go alone, and if you want to uh, get everyone to to go with you, it's uh, it's a slower journey. 
and there's a balance to be struck there i think as well yeah. one of one of the things that we were really excited about with the um, building on the open banking standard is while it, it it took about a year to get it regulated and then it took sort of three or four years to really get into the market actually from a regulatory point of view that's lightning speed uh, and what mm -hmm. we're trying to do now is take that blueprint and um, see if we can take it into other sectors like energy or water or transport mm -hmm. very rapidly to go and test whether or not uh, and, and take that sort of rapid application development approach uh, which is one of the reasons we're called icebreaker one the uh, link I think that we'll gradually forge with uh, with folks like Guy X is they can uh, help to bring some of the scale here. So we're out there ice breaking yeah. and we're creating some design patterns that I think could be really amplified through uh, the kind of international vehicle, whether it's Guy X or there's other groups around the world that are looking at, at copying what we're doing. And because we openly license everything we do, that's, you know, it's a design feature. Uh, that we want people to kind of build on the on the work, whether that's a policy recommendation or whether it's a bit of process or whether it's a bit of code. It's really applying the principles of open to everything. Yeah. So you kind of have a manifesto with Icebreaker One, isn't it? Um, can you break that one down for us real quick? Sure. Well, I think yeah, it's, um, that there's a number of principles if we want data to work harder to deliver net zero. You know, there's so many challenges ahead of it. But when it comes to the, the kind of principles and practice, uh, really what we want to see is firstly design for search. So if you've got data, publish the yeah. metadata around the data that you've got. So particularly if you've got commercially sensitive information that can't be open data or shouldn't be open data, um, please tell everybody that you've got it. Uh, so we've got we've built a search engine uh, here to help uh, make that happen. But as part of that, like I say, we're working directly with industry and, and directly with government to say, well, how can we apply, um, you know, what levers of, of pressure can apply to really make sure that everybody does that. Um, so that discovery piece, it might sound like a very straightforward one, and it's very linked to what uh, Tim Berners-Lee called for in his TED talk over a decade ago is bring us your data. It's really that kind of call, but not just open data. Let's get um, visibility on the commercial data that exists because most of the material data uh, or data that leads to material decisions is confidential in some way or needs to be restricted to access. So the, yeah. the first piece here is very much about opening up the discover discoverability piece, so design for search. The second piece is then saying, well, how can we enable and unlock access control at web scale? And so here, this is the, the piece that we very much copied from the open banking standard is there are ways now of, authentic, of, of authenticating between organizations, of getting people clustered around common uh, rules of access, and that de-risks it for the organization. So those are the kind of two principles, really. One is design for search, and then secondly, enable access control. Uh, and the third one is, can we do this together? So um, we run a, a number of um, advisory groups and forums uh, to help people come together to work out you know, what are the interoperability standards here that we can run with in the short term and then signal to um, whether it's standards bodies, uh, whether it's regulators that you know, this is what the industry's clustering around. If you can lean into this, then you'll get more of the market engaged. So that, that's kind of our, our overall kind of theory of change in life. Um, speaking about COP26 now, because that's basically the big event which is running up, what do you expect from 
a summit of that kind, what kind of like results would you like to see coming out of that? Yeah, well, it's going to be quite a mixed bag, I think. There'll be a lot of uh, political rhetoric, because that's always the case. Um, but I think you'll also see some very material statements coming out from different um, parts of the ecosystem, uh, whether that's at um, government level or supranational uh, level or institutional level. And I think one of the themes that we're seeing emerging in, in the Climate Financial Risk Forum that launched its report today is that everybody is asking for more data. Uh, and the trouble is that there was, we don't, we haven't actually sorted out the baseline plumbing uh, to enable that access. So we're certainly going to be calling for, uh, and we were running a few sessions there as well, um, and, so, and one of them with uh, Amanda and uh, Open UK, is to say, like, how are we really going to get our arms around this as a, as a community of, uh, of practice that are driving to net zero? We've got a blueprint here that can enable us to unlock access to the information you need without everybody everybody's hair catching fire and then sort of running around uh, worrying about risks and controls and, and so on. There's, there's processes now that we didn't have five years ago that we can apply at scale to some of these challenges. And at the same time, you've got um, more uh, data coming to market through Earth observation uh, or through sensors, whether it's smart meters and so on. Everything is going to be producing data. So we, we've got um, sort of Cambrian explosion of data supply uh, and we now need to get our arms around it without it turning into um, just a whole bunch of monopoly positions on uh, who, who can create the biggest data lake and put a gate around it. The, the scale of the challenge here is to, do, is, is to embrace the fact we've got a federated distributed problem and we need to channel trillions of dollars assets uh, and somehow bridge between those uh, two. And so that, that I think we'll see the, the, the statements coming out from from different parts of the ecosystem, whether it's the modeling community, whether it's the scientific community, whether it's the financial community, really saying, okay, we think we've got our house uh, roughly in order of what we should be doing and within our particular group. Now we need to work out on how we connect with everybody else. It's really interesting. Um, we obviously featured Icebreaker in the State of Open report that came out last week, phase three. There was a case study on Icebreaker and also a piece by you and you are going to moderate the energy sector uh, panel in the yeah. afternoon of our day at COP. But you're going to be a very busy man that afternoon because you're mm. also nipping over to the hydro, aren't you, afterwards? Is it green zone? Blue zone? Uh, yes, okay. we're, yeah, we're, the, the, we're in the green zone for uh, a session there on how do we decarbonize the built world. Uh, we've got an international panel uh, joining us uh, as well as uh, some high-profile speaker uh, introducing us, which I can't announce yet. But uh, yes, it's going to be a busy day. Uh, but I think Secrets. here the, the, <laughs> yes, the, the um, <laughs> teasers, you've always got to have a teaser. But uh, the, and there's the, a lot of um, it about. I already know yeah, Boris Johnson is not coming. So. Yeah, so that's the boys asked me in an earlier podcast um, whether or not Boris was coming, but he hasn't been invited. But a lot of people have been invited to our event, at yeah. least. And yeah. we're waiting like you, Gavin, for your, your Green Zone, we are waiting to be able to say which politicians have confirmed that they're going to be with us uh, at the session that you are moderating for us. But I think yeah. it'll be a very exciting session. Um, really interesting to see this federated model as it builds out, which is, I guess, in many ways similar to what GaiaX is doing. And I know that the Uptime Punks have done a lot around GaiaX. 
uh, is it worth maybe talking a little bit more about that? Do you, do you have some more thoughts on that? I certainly do. I, you know, I think yeah, I'd, I'd love to uh, us to work out. Uh, you know, there's there's all these different initiatives around the world. I think IX is really onto to the great model here to help amplify some of the design patterns and bring people together. Uh, I, I suppose the question is, we we we, we I sit on a, at least half a dozen different um, coalitions of the willing, and they're all fantastic. But we need to get everything funded as well. So there's, I think there's a um, a lot of bringing together uh, or convening around industry uh, and, the, and the public sector in a way that can move quickly and actually build things out rather than just publishing more research reports and say, oh, we might be able to do this if only something else happened. Um, so I think there's a real opportunity here to bring to, together some of these coalitions and say, look, can we just build things now and, and uh, go into this kind of rapid application development uh, type of approach? Uh, Does that, does that resonate with what you're for guy at? Oh, we lost you slightly at the end there, but yes, I think it's very much got to a time where we need to get on and start building. Uh, it's possibly easier for us in the UK. Uh, I know the guys are going to react to me talking about this, uh, both the <laughs> Europeans, but I, I think it is possibly easier. And we are seeing the energy sector an icebreaker being part of this, taking a sort of world leading approach, but just getting on and building because it is easier right now for us to, even with devolved nations, to get an agreement and start doing that building. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've all been working with the Energy Digitalization Task Force, who I think will also do a podcast for us. But, you know, that that is what's happening in the UK. The energy sector is shifting and moving forward. Right, Gavin? It is, and the, the international piece is, is super interesting here because I think you know we're also uh, there's a, an international coalition called Mission Innovation, uh, who's who's tasked with delivering part of the Paris Agreement, and there the the primary um, secretariat for that is China, Italy, and the UK uh, around the energy agenda. Uh, we've taken the open energy principles and, and uh, ideas into that forum as a, as a tier one member, uh, but the um, coalition there includes countries uh, from around the world, ranging from Germany uh, to Saudi uh, to India. So here, I think that there's an absolute kind of uh, need to sort of join the dots, if you like, between the top-down political, uh, politically-led agendas and some of this more scrappy, uh, we built a thing, is there a blueprint here, work that uh, organizations like Icebreaker are, are doing with the kind of um, structural pieces like IX that are trying to systematize, you know, federated knowledge exchange across countries. And can we do that uh, around the world? Uh, and how do we accelerate that? That's my, my question to you guys. How, how can we accelerate this? How do you accelerate it? <coughs> Good question. I, I I think the problem with Gaia-X and with projects in general like this, if you have a lot of cooks involved, yeah, it's like in a kitchen, and you have a lot of cooks involved, everybody has the best idea of how it should be done. And by the time you finish discussing, discussing how you're going to cook the meal uh, mm. or how you're going to lead the project, by that time, it's already going to be old and it's not needed anymore. So that's sort of what I feel always happens with these big projects. That's why for Gaia-X, for example, Echo took charge of it now and they're the driving force behind it because it was basically at a standstill 
where everybody was doing a lot of discussions. But I think it's the same thing with sustainability and net zero, because we all knew that climate change, global warming, that uh, our lifestyle don't support the planet. Yeah. Because we're really, and I think this is something which everybody sort of realized during the pandemic now as well, because do you really need to fly for all these meetings? Do you really need to do all these things? Do you need to drive by car every day to work? So people started realizing that um, we're also leaving quite a massive footprint behind as an individual itself already. And um, I always like to quote Susanna Kass, our um, sustainability um, mentor. Um, she was like, she always says, if you want to see change, then you have to start being the change. Mm. And I think people um, also need to change their own lifestyles to support the planet. And um, that's why we're very keen on the COP26, because sustainability is very close to our heart. Um, and I think it's really important because especially our generation, which is a little bit younger, um, we we basically... Oi. Nice nice how you... I, I just, that, Gavin, do we, do we tolerate that? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We will not but, edit it out. <laughs> no, I, I think your point there, though, is a really, a really important one is... is yeah how can we affect change at an individual level or in our own communities? Uh, actually, one of my calls to action here that it's, it's really hard. You know, I've been working on the climate agenda now for uh, just nearly, just about 20 years. Uh, and it's really hard to get individuals to engage, partly because everyone's got a busy life, we need to get on with it. But also the sense of age, there's not a great sense of agency. You know, what can I really change in my lifestyle? You know, I'm not in, I can switch my energy supplier, but to who? Is it really greener? And are they all not kind of the same thing? Or can I, if I switch my vehicle, is it really you know, greener and so on? I think one of the things, one of the levers of change here is it's going to sound very boring, but quite often innovation does come from things that are really boring. It's call up your bank and call up your pension provider or your insurer <laughs> and ask them, what is their net zero strategy? Right, and, and just signal to them that as a consumer, you're going to start shopping around based on people's commitment to net zero. Uh, because that's the, like, if we can get that at, at, at on mass, like with the pension providers, you've got a, a, the perfect storm then. Because there's regulation already in flight to push organizations through things like um, TCFD, which is a task force for financial climate disclosures which is led by Mark Carney. Um, and um, they're going to start mandating more disclosure at the large-scale financial institution level. And that's going to affect 50,000 companies across Europe. So if you've got that happening at the top-down level, and then if you've got the consumer level, people saying, what is your net zero strategy? Could you be better at it? Can you tell me what it means? Are you, like, what are your, like, and don't just give me greenwash, because we'll see through that as consumers. And the media will see through that. Uh, so you've got to demonstrate to me that you, you've got actual uh, material impact there, which also involves, lo and behold, show me the data, prove it. So I think that's that's yeah. where consumers can have a, a lot of impact in the short term. Yeah, I think it's also, if I may add very briefly on top of that, it's about showing people, and it's 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 not about agency. It's all, it's also about agency, but it's also about your actions actually drive change and show them the, the results that are already there. You know, the typical good news uh, stuff that we should all read in the morning. Um, UK, if I'm not mistaken, um, 
produces more renewable or low carbon energy than ever before. Um, we could just we just got rid of 2,900 uh, tons of plastic out of the ocean, that kind of stuff. And not just always, um, you know, everything goes to the bin. It's That's not yeah. motivating people as well. So I think it's I, also I, yeah. about messaging and... Um, you know, showing people, oh, there are actually already tangible results that we can build upon. I, I think yeah. that's a really important point as well, because there is a sense, a psychological component to this. Of like, you, you want to be part of the movement, mm. but if there isn't a movement for to, to be part of, then you feel like you're out on a limb, or that your impact doesn't have making a difference. Yeah. Uh, so I think you know that that's that's really critical. Uh, but that pressure, that um, mass pressure back into government to give government confidence to make the spending commitments because there's a huge challenge you know we've just announced in the uk uh, a, a, what seems like a huge investment in uh, heat pumps and so on but it's about a tenth of what's needed uh, or, or less so we, we kind of need to give government the mandate through social pressure to spend more on the uh, on addressing the root causes here as well yeah Maybe, but that's a Boris Johnson question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it well, all comes back to Boris. No, I'm joking. It, well, it's a voting question. You know, it's it, yeah. it's a you know, are, are you telling your MP, regardless of which uh, political affiliation you have, you know, are you asking your MP, you know, this is a, a top a voter issue for me. If you say, you know, net zero is my top one of my top issues, it'll push it up the political agenda. It'll get people who are. You know, on the political fence uh, regarding the scale of investment needed for net zero yeah. uh, to to move in a direction, they need you know politicians need the support of their constituents yeah. and the demands from their constituents to be heard. Yeah, they want to get reelected, don't they? Yeah. So. yeah. So before we go deep into conversations, <laughs> we need to keep something for COP twenty six. Yeah. Let's maybe just um, ask one last question to Gavin. What what is your if you could get only one thing out of COP26, what would it be? It would be a mandate to prove that your investments were net zero. Mm -hmm. It sounds quite abstract, but if we can't demonstrate that the money that we're spending and at scale here, every single pound or dollar or euro that we spend, particularly on our infrastructure over the next decade, is absolutely going to bake in our carbon emissions for 2050. Because when you make an infrastructure investment, it's usually with a decades-long uh, time frame. So every single bit of money that we spend between over the next decade is going to materially impact uh, what our um, emissions are in, in the coming decades. So we need to be in a position now to give to de-risk um, low carbon technologies for the investment community to make investment in fossil fuels untenable as we go forward, but also manage what's called a just transition so that we don't just switch everything off. You can't just switch everything off tomorrow because you know, the lights go out. But we've got to um, make sure that every bit of money we spend can, can demonstrate that it's pushing towards that net zero agenda. Excellent. I hope you will achieve that and uh, look forward to, yeah, look forward to that and to see you there. Yeah. So Amanda and Gavin, thank you very much. Thank you. And we see you at see COP26. You yeah, yeah. See you at COP26 on the COP scene. On the COP scene. <laughs> All right. See you there.
See you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.